me anyone. Well, <laughs> I was talking to Ian. He wants me to fight Philly D. No, really? Okay. I was like, that guy has one spleen, man. I'm gonna fucking kill him. He has like an organ thing. He's, so, he's, he's got he's like his. You got all kinds of things. <laughs> no, but my I don't have organ failure. <laughs> man, I shit myself. DeFranco was too stunned to speak. Okay, so in, in Ethan's defense, it is true that I only have one spleen, but that's because everyone only has one spleen. Actually, that's not true. About 10% of people have two spleens. It's called an accessory spleen. I just learned that this morning. But we'll get to that after I say, sup, you beautiful bastards. Welcome back to the Philip DeFranco Show. I, I'm just giving you treats this week. Today's show is another double XL one, and afterwards, top link down below, and I'll include a link right there. We're there. I'm giving you over 10 more minutes of after show over on youtube.com slash DeFranco does, so check that out, but let's just jump into it. So the first thing we're gonna jump into is in the aftermath of the success of Creator Clash. There's a lot of FOMO. You've got a ton of online creators publicly contemplating, do I want a box? Do I want to be a part of the next event? And if so, who would I fight? And yesterday, if you watched H3 TV, the news broke. He said Philly is seriously considering fighting. Which was absolutely massive news to a number of people, including me, because that's not a thing that's happening. I haven't talked to iDubs in three and a half years. So partly in pursuit of finding out who the fuck is lying about me. As well as to provide equal representation for yesterday's Dr. Mike interview, we have iDubs coming in for a quick chat to talk about his side of the controversies we discussed yesterday, as well as what happens from here. <laughs> God. Yeah, the other guy looks so much worse than me, man. So much worse. Yeah, no, this yeah. is actually, I will say, this is for, for what you guys were, were throwing. I'm, I'm glad to see, like, this is it. Oh, yeah, I'm good. He, he only hit me in the head. He didn't hit my body at all. My body's looking hot. Well, I got, I got to ask that, too. When you, were, when you were swinging at his body, were you thinking about points, or you were like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the thing where I work his body and he's going to get tired? Uh, the second thing. I, I okay. really wanted to stop him with, like, a big body shot. Oh, so you're was, like, you're just going for the liver. You're just oh, like, yeah, yeah. Gonna hit that. Yeah, yeah. Something. Some organ. I wanted some organ to explode, but it didn't happen. So, yeah, the first thing I really I have to ask you is, did you tell Ethan Klein that I was interested in boxing? As a way to trick him into fighting me? Well, I, I thought you, I, I don't know where I heard it. I thought, I thought you were interested. What? What are you talking about? I, I, I don't know. Maybe it got lost in communication, but I thought you were down to fight, at least Ethan. Ethan, I was like, Ethan I was, and you would be a good fight. I don't think it would be a fair fight, even though yesterday he said he could kill me. <laughs> oh, no, no. Was that, was that confusion, or is that, uh, is that a tactic that you use to actively get some of the people on the last card to fight? Oh, no, not at all. Everyone was super down to do it without like even knowing who their opponent was. Really? Uh, yeah, yeah. They just knew like, yeah, make sure it's like we were trying to. We've been telling everyone like we want a fair fight. Like the only like fight that may have not been fair is the you know huge discrepancy between like um, Harley and Aaron. But Aaron was like all game for it. You know, he Aaron. <laughs> when you talk to him, he's like, I'm gonna fucking destroy Harley. So I was like, all right, let him do it. Let him do it. Do you, uh, do you have an idea so far? I know that uh, it's still available on Moment House, but uh, do you have an idea so far on how many pay-per-views sold or uh, as far as how much has been raised for charity? Or I know Obviously, that number is still changing. Yeah, I think uh, it's going to be well over 100,000 pay-per-views sold and uh, over a million for charity. So. Badass. Yes. I was, I, I'm torn on it because I love that you did it and that there, there's a charity aspect, but secretly I've wanted to train for like three years and like when I get to 40, that's when I was going to do my get the bag fight. And now we got to do it to help other people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You can't do your get the bag fight. Sorry, <laughs> Phil. 
Who, who would you fight if you had to fight someone? Well, now that you threw it out there, Ethan Klein does seem in- interesting. Mm. Either that or Belle Delphine. I think I have oh, a chance against those two. Belle might fight. She seems hella cute. <laughs> I also have to ask you about the controversies regarding uh, the change in rounds. Because I know that was a thing that a lot of people were talking about. Um, I think one of the co-creators uh, gave a statement, but I just didn't know if you had seen that or if you wanted to confirm mm-hmm. as far as why the rounds changed for your fight with Mike. Yeah, I think it was just an error on the part of the uh, commission or the timekeeper or something like that, where, you know, it was the same the whole night. And then uh, my, Dr. Mike and I's fight was the only one that was different. We were doing 12-ounce gloves for three-minute rounds because we were trying to simulate a pro fight as close as we can because we couldn't, the commission didn't want us to do that. So the only difference would basically be that we were doing 12-ounce gloves instead of 10. But it's understandable, the confusion. Yeah, I mean, no conspiracies, no no worries about it. It, it happened. Do you, do you agree with uh, the sentiment Mike put out that it might have saved you? Um... I mean, I, I don't know. I don't think it would have saved me. I, I feel like I do a lot better in the last minute because we've been training three-minute rounds all the way up until the day. It kind of goes both ways. I think a lot of people were saying, like, oh, he was on him in those last, you know, uh, five or ten seconds. But Mike gets tired going off on me. So you you could say that, but you could also say the the opposite where he was getting tired so you were thinking that in that last minute he'd punch himself out uh he might not punch himself out but yeah yeah he might punch himself out that that final minute could have been my minute i mean that's the thing that i i've been told a lot is that my form gets better and i hit harder uh the more loose i get and the looseness comes you know sort of in that final minute a lot of the times. Regarding getting hit, uh, what are your thoughts on people making a, a big deal, or maybe it's a big deal to you as far as the, the glove touch in the second round? I think some said he might have also done it in the first round, but specifically glove touch and then immediate swing. Yeah, I mean, I only really noticed it in the in the second round, and uh, it was a bit of a meme in the moment. I was like, I don't like that. You know, I think my fight with Dr. Mike was one of the more different fights of the night because Dr. Mike is super competitive. I don't think I'm quite as like innately competitive as he is. Like I think he would fucking try to take any advantage that he can to to make it happen. Not saying that he he intentionally did that or anything. Just that like I wasn't like start fast, start fast. I got to fucking enter his corner immediately and go for it. I'm like the better box will win. Let's meet in the middle and fucking, you know beat each other up. Let's do it. So now that you've, you've thrown this successful event, what do you do from here? Is, it, is there definitely a Creator Clash 2? What does that look like? Because I know Mike was hyped on it. We're definitely doing a Creator Clash 2. Um, and hopefully even more after that. A lot of people come to us wanting to, uh, wanting to box. And since I'm on your platform, I will put it out there. If any creators want to box, Just hit up the Creator Clash Twitter account. The DMs are open. We're looking for people of all different shapes, sizes, backgrounds, you name it. And for you, because you're, I saw on that, you're you're going to drop weight, because I imagine being that size for your frame does not feel normal. Uh, You're dropping down to like 160, 168, and who who, who would you want? Dream, Uh, Dream, one or two dreams? Dreams, I mean, Dream opponents, oh man, I don't know anyone who would fit in uh, the right category. I'd take on XQC. I don't think he would do particularly well, but, you know, <laughs> XQC, um, PewDiePie, he might be a little too short. 
but yeah, I mean, we're looking. I like. For, I like. Athletic I like the way that you call out. You're like, I like this guy, but it might be too easy. He's kind of shit. <laughs> well, I want big names. I mean, that's why we got like Dr. Mike is because I was like, he's like, he's got a large following. I really didn't care that he was like a bigger guy. We just knew that we needed big names to make the, the event a success. I just want to say I am grateful to all the fighters. Uh, they, they killed it. Um, a lot of them were super nervous and they put a lot of trust in Anissa and I, and I, I couldn't be more grateful. Uh, so thank you to the fighters and their coaches and everyone involved. And so ultimately with this story, I think there are a few final things to touch on. One, if both Ian and Dr. Mike do not think there was some conspiracy, it was just a simple mess up as far as the rounds in, they have no bad blood about that punch in the second round. Everyone on the internet should probably chill the fuck out. And two, Ethan Klein, I never said I wanted to fight you. If I did, you would get hurt. And that would go against my monetary interest because then I wouldn't be able to put your beautiful face in my thumbnails. And lastly, the question I wanna kick out to you, beautiful bastards is even though I would not fight, who would you like to see me fight? And then if you're wondering why I'm so confident I could drop Ethan Klein, that actually brings us to today's fantastic sponsor, Athletic Greens. AG1 by Athletic Greens is a foundational nutrition drink that has created a movement around simplifying your health routine. It supports your energy, focus, gut health, digestion, immune system, and more. Each scoop of AG1 is nine health products in one, giving you the equivalent of a multivitamin, a probiotic, minerals, and more, so you don't need other supplements piling up on your countertop. And Athletic Greens invests in high quality ingredients going above and beyond to ensure what's on the label is exactly what's in the powder. I've been taking AG1 for a while now and I love it. It mixes well with water and it's honestly the best tasting nutrition drink I've tried, making it an easy habit to stick to. The best part is that they're giving you added immune system support with a free one year supply of vitamin D plus five individual travel packs with your purchase. And honestly, it'll be hard to find a better, more comprehensive supplement. So head on over to athleticgreens.com slash drink or just click the link down below for their best offer of all time. And the offer is available in the United States, Canada, UK, and Europe. So don't miss out unless you are Ethan Klein, in which case, please miss out because I need the edge. And then in one of the more requested news stories today, let's talk about Canadian clinical psychologist, YouTuber and famed anti-snowflake Jordan Peterson quitting Twitter at least saying he's doing so after for some reason going after a plus size model. With Peterson seemingly out of nowhere responding to a Sports Illustrated cover featuring plus size model Yumi Nu, writing, sorry, not beautiful, and no amount of authoritarian tolerance is going to change that. Cool stuff, lobster boy. So essentially Peterson is boiling down the entire very complex issue of body acceptance to nothing more than this just being part of the woke agenda. And well, of course, Peterson is Peterson, he has his defenders, many people just dogpiled onto his tape. With people saying things like, Jordan Peterson insists that women accept traditional beauty standards, but when his guy fans can't attract a woman, he wants to create like a no pussy task force to address the matter. Many also taking in a moment to reflect on and just breathe in Peterson's natural beauty, which then eventually led to Peterson, AKA the prettiest princess in the world, to announce that he would be leaving Twitter, saying in a series of tweets, I recently stopped accessing Twitter for three weeks as an experiment. I had some of my staff post video links, etc. It was a genuine relief. I started to read and write more. I started using it again a few days ago, and I would say that my life got worse again almost instantly. And adding, the endless flood of vicious insults is really not something that can be experienced anywhere else. I'd like to follow the people I know, but I think the incentive structure of the platform makes it intrinsically and dangerously insane. And actually, Here's the thing, J-Dog, I am in agreement that Twitter sucks. It is a hellscape. But with you being you, I, I really have to wonder, are you that unself-aware and blind? Whereas one person explained, from out of nowhere, you decided to tweet out to 2.7 million people that you thought a woman is unattractive. Resist the temptation to complain about getting your fee-fees hurt. Though, I do wanna note, it's not just Peterson, though he got most of the spotlight here. We also saw takes like this from professional poker player, Doug Polk, writing, I understand we wanna focus more on positive body image, especially in a time where people are more critical of themselves than ever, primarily from 
social media, but putting obese people on the cover of Sports Illustrated sends a horrible message about health and well-being. Which is really why I think it's important to end on this almost prophetic message Yumi Nu wrote as part of her shoot with Sports Illustrated. With her saying, even here in the US, where a lot of the fashion industry has become more inclusive toward people with bodies like mine in the last few years, some people, for example, designers at certain high-end fashion houses and dumb, angry guys on the internet, among others, just haven't quite figured out yet that people who look like me belong everywhere everyone else does. But to them, I say, we'll wait, we're here, and we're not going away. But they're also telling People Magazine that if her 13-year-old self would have seen this photo shoot, I think she would have lived a different life with a different headspace. You know, this is a story that we've talked about on the show before. I think that there needs to be a difference between body positivity and the glorification of an unhealthy lifestyle. But like, and once again, it's a personal thing. But like, when I look at this cover, I don't see it as promoting being unhealthy. I think it's trying to be inclusive, show people that not everyone has one body type, that you can still look beautiful. That, and you really realize this as you grow up, one of the sexiest things in the world is confidence. Because at the end of the day, 98, 99% of us know that if we, you know, take better care of ourselves, it's better for our health. Like I'm currently down 30, 35 pounds from my pandemic high. I feel better than ever. My All my health numbers are where they need to be. But I'm just as valid a human being as I am today than I was several months ago. And when I was at that weight, I already felt shitty enough about myself as is. I didn't need Jordan Peterson being like, not attractive. And so for me, this is less about, you know, glorification versus acceptance. I feel like that, that debate is more nuanced. Rather, the big standout is Jordan Peterson being a sensitive, sensitive hypocrite. But hey, that's the story. A little bit of my takeaway. And now, of course, I pass the question on to you, whether you agree with me or not. And then let's talk about this bizarre mess of a news story. Right, so this all starts with a ring doorbell video of a nine-year-old white kid coming up to a black family's home, beating on the door, and then cracking a whip in broad daylight. And from there, a woman opens the door and says, Little boy, you better get your from off my porch beating on my door like this. I will call the police. You need to leave. Don't you ever beat on my goddamn like that. Go. And this story brings us to the game show part of today's show. Did it happen in Texas or Florida? And if you guessed Florida, you are wrong. It was Texas. But the thing is, this didn't just stop with the doorbell incident. According to the Nashes, the black family in this incident, the boy also used the whip to leave a deep scratch on their car. So they say they go over to the boy's house to have a conversation with his dad, Brian Thomas Brunson, and then this happened. Right away, the situation's tense. This continues for several more exchanges before Brunson opens the door. Notably, he's armed with a gun at his side. And from there, things continue to escalate. The Nashes want to show him the video of his son and get him to pay for the damages, while Brunson accuses the Nashes' son of jumping his. Brunson also claiming that the family's had beef before this, and you can hear the Nashes claiming that their son is older and doesn't even go to the same school. But whatever the facts are regarding their relationship and the, the background, the two men then get very heated. They start cussing. Brunson yells at the Nashes to get off his property. It appears like the two might start fighting. And then you hear this. Do it! No, baby, get back! Oh my God! The gun gets fired. Notably, you can hear what appears to be a kid scream, but thankfully, no one was injured. And according to reports, Brunson appears to have accidentally fired the gun, and the situation could have been so much worse. Because according to officers, Brunson fired the gun in the direction of his own daughter who was standing in the doorway behind him, which is where you hear that scream coming from. And so, because of all of this, police have now arrested Brunson, who now faces a charge of deadly conduct for reckless discharge of a firearm. And while Brunson now has been quiet about the whole situation, the Nashes have been making the rounds to local outlets, saying of Brunson's son, we know the history of the whip. This is a racial issue. He comes to the door with a whip. Also offering their own version of events into those bullies claims between the kids. Saying it all started last week when a group of kids that included their children was walking home. Saying this one particular kid was hitting the girls with a skateboard and my daughter retaliated and hit him back. One of the other kids pushed him in some water like from behind and he fell into a puddle of water. And adding when he got up, the first person he saw was our daughter so he assumed that she did it. With Nash adding that Brunson's son had been using racial slurs and that his own daughter's actions had just been her defending herself. And saying that angered Brunson's son even more and led to him approaching their house with the whip. But for now, that's what we know and that's sort of
of where the story ends. According to reports, the Brunsons plan to move. Meanwhile, the Nashes say they're going to seek legal action since Brunson's son is too young to be held criminally responsible for the damage to their car. So yeah, uh, that is where we are right now. And then, do y'all remember about a month ago we covered the story about the UN politely asking the UK to stop pairing single Ukrainian women with single British men? With reports blowing up at that time of horny men using the Homes for Ukraine program to prey on desperate refugees? Well now, another disaster has popped up and this time it's leaving people homeless. So to recap, the government launched the program back in March, giving 350 pounds a month tax-free to households that sponsored a Ukrainian, with 100,000 Brits signing up on the first day alone. But now, a lot of those eager, often well-meaning people are realizing what they signed up for. Because as it turns out, it's not easy or simple to just suddenly welcome an adult human being into your home, and many have failed to anticipate the commitment that would be required of them. And so you have community groups warning that growing numbers of sponsors are kicking out their refugees, sometimes only giving them one day's notice, with inciting factors including cost, personality and cultural clashes, hosts not setting house rules, misunderstandings and communication problems. And some of the people are just assholes, right? You have this one sponsor demanding a 36-year-old refugee pay for utilities, and when she didn't, she was kicked out. Which, by the way, you are explicitly not supposed to do, right? You get the 350 pounds a month, so you don't have to shake down poor refugees for cash. With this, you have the deputy leader of the city council where that incident happened saying, the government's Homes for Ukraine scheme has been badly put together. Among its flaws is the fact that there is no mechanism for councils to transfer a Ukrainian guest to an alternative sponsor when something like this happens. Also, in another case, you had a 43-year-old Ukrainian woman moving in with a couple who arranged her flights and documentation. Everything reportedly going well at first. She feels loved and cared for, but when she visits a man online, their whole dynamic shifts, with her sponsors accusing her of lying, throwing her out after a little more than a week, and leaving her homeless. With this poor woman saying, it's a terrible feeling. You feel really happy, loved, and cared for, and then you feel like you've been thrown from a high-rise building to the ground. And you've got a board member for the Association of Ukrainians in Great Britain saying, our community is seeing these cases frequently, and our perception is that they're increasing. And it's important to remember, like, this sucks already, but these difficulties are impacting people who are already traumatized by war, right? It's not a rare thing to hear stories like the chair of a Ukrainian scout group saying she's seen children fall to the ground after mistaking a loud noise for a bomb. And as kind of the cherry on top of this whole mess, there are reports of some Ukrainians being housed for weeks by sponsors who are still waiting for their criminal background checks to finish. And so now, reportedly to deal with this, the government is creating a rematching service that will contact tens of thousands of waiting sponsors and telling them it will work with councils and charities to match them with refugees whose initial homes fell through. But long story short, Part of this just appears to be a shit show. But from that, I want to take a quick second to thank a sponsor of today's extra, extra large Philip DeFranco show, Vessi. Vessis are lightweight shoes that are perfect for all seasons because they actually keep your feet warm and dry through rain, snow, and mud. They're built for everyday life. Vessi makes 100% waterproof and snowproof sneakers that are incredibly comfortable, breathable, and actually pretty stylish. And get this, they have reimagined their everyday slip-ons to be even more breathable and supportive than ever before. They have the same sock light fit, laceless design, and waterproof Dymatex technology you love. And the Everyday Move slip-ons now feature added arch support, which makes them perfect for long days on your feet and the perfect shoe for lightweight travel. And I'm constantly in my Vessis running errands, playing in the yard with the kids, even on muddy hikes. And now these Everyday slip-ons have become even more convenient for me. Plus, they're always coming out with new designs and colorways, so head on over to Vessi.com slash DeFranco right now and be sure to use code DeFranco to get $25 off. Grab a pair now while they still have your size and you'll be thanking me later. And then in, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this correctly, good news, it appears that we finally have a possible end to the baby formula shortage that we're seeing right now. With now the FDA and Abbott Nutrition, which makes Similac and other baby formulas reaching a deal to restart production. Right? Because a huge factor in the recent shortage is the fact that Abbott Nutrition had to shut down production three months ago at its Sturgis, Michigan plant after there were safety issues found. That then led to a recall and a ton of baby formula suddenly missing from the shelves. It's also singed tried to ease the issue by increasing production elsewhere alongside other companies stepping up to the plate. But unlike you trying to Postmate something, supply line shifts aren't usually felt for weeks, leading to grocery stores still needing to ration their products. And we still don't know exactly what fixes the FDA will require before the plant reopens. But we do know that regardless of the fixes, Abbott Nutrition 
Commission will be required to retain an independent expert to review the Sturgis facility's operation to ensure compliance with the law. One of the last steps for this agreement is a court approval, which is expected. But even assuming that it goes through, no problem, this still may not come quick enough. In the past, the company had promised that once the FDA signed off on an agreement, it would take two weeks to get production restarted and another six to eight weeks to get it back on the shelves. And while that's lightning speed for production, for families, six to eight weeks feels like an eternity. And in the meantime, if you're feeding a baby, expect to see less formula than normal at stores. And if you don't have any, the best advice is still to contact your doctor about usable alternatives for the short term. And then let's talk about Florida man and Governor Ron DeSantis now signing HB 1571 into law, which will make it illegal to protest or picket in front of a private residence. With it going into effect starting in October, and in a statement, DeSantis claimed that the law was necessary, saying, sending unruly mobs to private residences like we have seen with angry crowds in front of the homes of Supreme Court justices is inappropriate. This bill will provide protection to those living in residential communities, and I am glad to sign it into law. But also, I will say, despite the timing, the recent protests in front of Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh's house did not inspire this law, right? Because this was actually passed back in March, and it's been sitting with the governor for a bit now. However, I do want to note the law doesn't completely stop protests because it requires the police to ask the protesters to leave before arresting them. So you could technically show up, protest until the cops say to get lost, and then you leave. But then for those who refuse to leave, that could result in a second degree misdemeanor, which is a relatively minor punishment, but enough time to land you in court and get you possible jail time. And then repeat offenders will likely see stiffer and stiffer sentences. And this anti-protest law would be a significant restriction on where people can protest in Florida. Right? Previously, the only law protecting private residences from protests is a federal one meant to protect judges in certain circumstances, which is why we've seen some Republicans pushing for the DOJ to go after the Kavanaugh protesters. You know, this law isn't DeSantis's first crackdown on protests in the Sunshine State. Back in 2021, he signed what was referred to as an anti-riot law that granted civil immunity to drivers who ran over protesters blocking roadways. Though that law is currently in legal limbo after a judge subsequently blocked it. And so with this story, I'd love to know your thoughts. Do you think that it should be illegal to protest or picket in front of a private residence? Yes, no, why, why not? Also, with that previous mention of the Supreme Court, we should talk about Senator Ted Cruz's win yesterday. Right, so if you didn't know, the Federal Election Commission was suing Cruz because he had used post-election funds to repay a $260,000 loan that he had given to his campaign during the 2018 Senate campaign. But the 2002 Bipartisan Campaign Reform Act explicitly blocked politicians from spending more than $250,000 in post-election funds to repay loans. And anything over that amount was considered a campaign contribution. But here's the thing. This isn't like Ted Cruz accidentally going over $10,000. What even is that? Cruz knew what he was doing and specifically paid more to challenge the law's constitutionality, which the Supreme Court ultimately did in a six to three decision with Chief Justice John Roberts saying that, quote, this limit on the use of post-election funds increases the risk that candidate loans over $250,000 will not be repaid in full, inhibiting candidates from making such loans in the first place. With Roberts going on to write, there is no doubt that the law does burden First Amendment electoral speech and any such law must at least be justified by a permissible interest. One of the main things to understand is this ruling is actually in line with past and extremely controversial Supreme Court rulings that campaign contributions constitute a form of free speech and are protected by the First Amendment. But just like with those past rulings, there are heavy concerns that this ruling could open the door to corruption or because the law was enacted to prevent candidates from using their campaigns as a vehicle to build wealth after an election has ended. For example, Representative Grace Napolitano, she made a $150,000 loan to her campaign with 18% interest back in 1998, which was later reduced to 10%. And as of 2009, she had raised $221,780 to repay the loan with $158,000 being classified as interest. So she ended up making more on just interest than the entire amount she loaned. And so with yesterday's decision, a similar scheme could be used by lawmakers. You loan your campaign money with interest and allow wealthy people and businesses to step up at any time to pay it down without the risk of losing any money after a campaign season ends. And I think it's important again to reiterate that any interest on the loan is just profit for the candidate, but not as like a political figure, a person. With Justice Kagan pointing that major issue out in her dissent, writing that a candidate who gets contributions that directly increases his wealth is likely to be more grateful than for ordinary campaign contributions.
contributions, which do not increase his personal wealth. Which is why online you had people saying things like the right-wing majority on the Supreme Court just ruled in favor of Ted Cruz to make legalized bribery of politicians even easier. As well as loan your campaign lots of money, get elected, then fundraise so people can buy favors by donating money that goes directly into your personal bank account. That's bribery of a federal official, not free speech. But there is one big asterisk to all of this that Justice Roberts touched on. There are still limits on how much a candidate can receive from a single source. Or one person can still only legally give $2,900 to a candidate. But even with that, you have others arguing it can even be bigger than bribery. With people arguing you've just turned running for office into a profit-making center for individuals. Right? Why should a politician limit themselves to just putting money into the stock market or real estate, which could go up or down, if you can just run for office? You loan yourself, I guess, however much money you want now, for the sake of this, we'll say a million dollars, at an interest rate that's never been clearly defined by the FEC, and at the end of the day, you just pay yourself back and all the interest is profit. But ultimately, that is the end of that story and today's show. But today it doesn't have to be because I uploaded a 10-minute after show over on DeFranco Does. You can click or tap right there or link down below. Definitely watch it. But no matter what you do, my name's Philip DeFranco. You've just been filled in. I love yo faces and I'll see you tomorrow.